Well, first, uh, a word of thanks. I think it's a couple of weeks ago, last week or the week before, a collection was taken to help, uh, help us pay the bills at an old school building in Southeast. It's being used as a shelter for homeless men, women, and children. And you raised a lot of money. We were somewhat surprised at the amount. We were very appreciative. Um, as a matter of fact, right after the money came in, we decided that there would, of course, be a certain temptation to say nice things to you and to not push you and to not anger you. But we decided that that would be very uh, ingracious of us. <laughs> So the truth, as we see it, is what you will get in the next few minutes. And another thing is I, I'm really not big on preparing statements. There's a certain spontaneity that's lost in that. But whenever you're spontane spot spontaneous, there's always a certain risk in that, because some days you can be very good, and some days you can be very bad, and some days you can be totally scattered. So if I tend to jump around and, and be somewhat incoherent at times, my apologies, but I'd rather take a chance of doing that than just kind of sit here and regale you with uh, written words. For those who may not be familiar with who we are, we are the Community for Creative Nonviolence. And for the last uh, 12 or 13 years in this city, we have done primarily two things. One is to try and meet the immediate needs of our neighbors, because we believe that that's a responsibility born both of citizenship and our humanity. If someone is hungry, we should feed them. If someone is naked, we should clothe them. If they're, uh, if they're living on the streets, we have to do what we can to get them off and provide them a place to stay. So now that end of our community has developed to the point where we feed oh, somewhere around 1,000 people a day and provide medical care and um, clothing and facilities where people can get cleaned up and clean their clothes, take a shower, just sit down and relax a little bit. Very soon we'll have another building, as soon as we can find one, that'll be used as an infirmary so that folks who are on the streets can have a place to be to recuperate if they're not sick enough to get into the hospital. And with money being scarce and the hospitals being short of funds, you have to be in very bad shape to get in nowadays. And so to be on the street and to be only moderately sick is to, in a sense, be sentenced to hell, because uh, it's not a very pleasant place to be. Um, the other side of our community also is service-oriented, but a different kind of service. We try and bring the truth as we see it and understand it to folks who are desperately in need of it. And on that side of the equation are people who have more than they need and people who are, in fact, trapped by their excess, no less than people are trapped by their want. So from time to time, we find ourselves trying to highlight certain inconsistencies and uh, certain injustices. For instance, <clears throat> four or five years ago, we found ourselves opening the doors of the National Visitor Center to use it as a shelter for a few nights before the White House got a little bit upset and asked that we be kept out, kicked out. Uh, we did that to help people understand that empty buildings, unused buildings in the face of human need is wasteful and is irresponsible. Um, we have catered luncheons in Congress with garbage as a way of helping people understand that 137 million tons a year of food is a bit much for us to be throwing away. 
when every two seconds another human being dies of starvation, many of them children under five. And in our own country, millions and millions go to bed hungry and malnourished every night. On January 25th, the day the President was going to deliver his State of the Union address, a friend of ours, a man named Roosevelt Jones, but Roosevelt had the emphasis because 50 years ago, another Roosevelt delivered a very different kind of State of the Union address. So Roosevelt Jones spoke as a black man living in a garage, out of work, uh, out of hope, out of everything. And he delivered an alternative State of the Union message, and then 160-some-odd people, including children, went into the rotunda of the Capitol and uh, knelt and prayed for food and shelter for those in this country in need. And uh, their prayers were answered. They were carried out and arrested. Um, <coughs> So those are, those are who, the two sides of who we are. We're a community. There's 30 or 35 of us that live together. We function consensually. We have no hierarchy of leadership. There is no leader. Um, there is no, uh, there is nothing but a process of collective discernment because we believe that that's the best way that one can see and respond to the truth and untruth. Um, now, those two things, those two elements, in a sense, make up the top layer of who we are as a community. When you go a little bit deeper, the layer that you pull back is the one that says that we as a community are committed to radically altering and changing the nature of our society and the nature of our world. Um, we believe that the foundation and the suppositions on which we have built our society are not just wrong, but they're insane. They're anti-human. They bear no relationship to human need or human aspirations. The idea that people have to fight and struggle and scratch and go for one another's throats in order to survive and in order to build a better world, as far as we're concerned, is an absurd, stupid assumption that has gotten us to the state that we're in. It's brought us to the point where increasingly we move away from one another, from our own center, from that which binds us and holds us and, and roots us to the earth and to each other and to our common humanity. And so much of what we do is geared towards helping other folks, as well as ourselves, understand that it's only through cooperation and through the recognition of essential and basic human rights, and through the acknowledgement that all creation is one, that we can, in fact, build a better world. We would say that the kind of competitive society we live in is what's responsible for lots of phenomenons, like the fact that there's decreasing security. We've got more and more police, more and more locks on the doors. In spite of that, folks are afraid to be home, and they're afraid to be out on the street, and people are afraid to walk at night. And I'm not very old, I'm not very young either, but uh, it wasn't that long ago that I can remember when you could walk at night and when you knew the person that you got your, your fruits and your vegetables from and the person who fixed your shoes and you had a human relationship. It's hard to develop a human relationship with a checkout machine. It just doesn't work right. And so we would say that increasing armaments in the face of decreasing security, increasing police forces in the face of decreasing security, increasing neurosis, broken families, alcoholism, drugs, all are pretty easily explainable. Uh, they're a result of building a society on the wrong set of values, 
and they're the result of attempting to build a world in a way that, in fact, can only destroy it, either quickly or slowly, but destroy it, it, it will. Um, another phenomenon, I, my vision isn't real good, but I, I don't see anyone that isn't Caucasian in this room. And it may be that there's somebody out there who's either light-skinned or that I can't see, but this is a city that's 70% black, and we are now in a room that is 100% white, and there's something wrong with that. There's something desperately and painfully wrong with that. What's wrong with that is that you are separated and segregated and insulated from people who you desperately need to be closer to and who desperately need to be closer to you. I mean, it's not enough to sit around and talk, to the co talk about the common worth or the common value or, the, or the, the, the basic rights of every human being if, in fact, we exclude a large chunk of humanity from our lives, from our, from our processes, uh, both decision-making and uh, reflective. That's um, not a good thing. George Will was mentioned before. <clears throat> I find George Will to be very interesting. He's got a good mind which unfortunately doesn't mean a lot because most of the damage is done by folks with good minds. But he has a good mind and he thinks. The only problem is he's a head that doesn't know it has either a heart or hands. He's disconnected, he's too completely abstracted. He is what folks in the East would say personify the one-eyed giant of the West, the technological giant which is at the same time a moral and ethical midget. We have developed the capacity to blow ourselves off the face of the earth, and we haven't gotten down to the task of feeding one another, or sheltering one another, or clothing one another. George is a reflection of all of us, because we can sit around and talk about caring for one another and concern for one another, and yet our pantries can be filled with food, more than we can possibly eat, more than we need, while human beings literally starve around us. We can have space in our home, in our buildings, and in our lives that need to be and can be and should be occupied by human beings who have a desperate need of that space and an absolute right to it. We can talk about justice while at the same time our lives are steeped in, rooted in injustice. We are at war. And I know that this community back in the, I guess it was the late 60s and early 70s, came together in a way that it hasn't since. And that was in response to a war. It was a war that not only killed a lot of people, but brought a lot of folks together because there was a common recognition that something so, so heinous, so destructive, so, so wrong was happening that people had to come together and had to do something about it. Well, the truth is that we're at war right now. War has been declared on the poor, it's been declared on the elderly, it's been declared on folks who don't fit neatly and compactly within the very narrow confines, continually shrinking, of what we find acceptable. We have up to a million people on our streets whose only crime is to be mentally incompetent, they're ex-mental patients. And what we've given them, those people who for all intent and purposes are infants, they're like children, what we've given them is a life of park benches and garbage pails, we sit back reasonably comfortably, living our lives as though everything was okay, while 75-year-old women eat out of garbage bales and get raped once or twice a week because their only place of abode is, is an alley or is a park or is a heat grate. We go about our business while the United States government arms and rearms 
and continues to arm itself in a way that goes beyond any human comprehension and in a way that threatens the existence of everyone in this room and everyone on this earth. And we go about our business as though everything were okay. We talk about the arms race and we talk about nuclear freezes, but um, to be perfectly honest, we consider somebody mad like Norman who went to the Washington Monument with an empty van, claimed to have 20,000 pounds of dynamite in it, and while no, those aren't the kinds of tactics we would employ, we would say that he is probably, was probably more sane than most people here because he understood at least that everything, everything was being called into question and everything was being endangered by a policy and by an administration and by a flow of events that was leading us inexorably towards nuclear annihilation. I mean, every day we open our newspapers and we read about another town where folks are beginning to develop little things on their skin and where little children are no longer functioning properly because they've discovered that they have polluted that piece of land and folks' health and future are endangered. We are destroying the land, we are destroying the air, the water, our security, our future. We are growing ever more distant, and yet we go about our business as though everything were okay. And our response is disproportionate, and our response is schizophrenic. And that essentially is the message that we bring to people. Schizophrenia isn't healthy. It's not healthy, it's not good, it's not gonna, it's not gonna solve the problem. We can't, on one hand, pay taxes to a government which uses that money in the most absurd fashion and profess to be moral, ethical people. We can't live lives that are separated from people who, because of the color of their skin or their educational background or the traditions out of which they come, uh, never intrude into our, into our consciousness or into our lives, except maybe when we pass them on the street. Um, we need not to live in excess when, in fact, excess is driving us mad. Some anthropologists, uh, conducted an experiment some years back in Africa with a few of the still remaining great apes. There are not very many left. 4,000, I believe, is the number in the world. Um, what they discovered is that great apes live in tribes. There's a dominant male, there are females, and there are young. Uh, the male is the hunter, and the male goes out, forages for food, brings back food. His share is the largest because he is the largest and he expends the greatest energy. It, the food is then distributed based on size and need. What they've discovered is that if you stun one of those apes, the male, and it wakes up on top of a couple of thousand pounds of bananas, its behavior is quite interesting. It tries to kill anything that goes near the bananas, and it doesn't even eat them. It just sits on top of its bananas, struggling to hold on to them and keeping at bay anything that would threaten to take any of its bananas. When the ape is stunned again and put back to sleep and then wakes up with a bunch of bananas beside it. It takes its share, it gives the young their share, the females, so on down the line. What some anthropologists and some other folks have uh, concluded from that is that apes cannot deal with excess in a very good way. It drives them crazy. It makes them violent and aggressive. It makes them anti-communitarian. And so some would say that it's our excess. We are sitting on top of the largest pile of bananas that the world has ever seen. We're 5% of the world's people and we control 50% of the world's wealth, wealth. And hundreds of millions of people either live in squalor and misery or die 
in order to keep us on top of our pile of bananas while we beated them constantly to keep them away with our weapons and with our threats and with our policies and with our supportive dictators whose only claim to power is violence and uh, more violence. So we would, we would extend an invitation to people to begin to regain their right minds, which means not to only sit in rooms where everybody is white, which means to go beyond the, uh, the sharing of excess uh, in a way that leaves us basically unchanged. We would encourage people to involve themselves in the questions, the pressing and, and desperately important questions of the day that need to be dealt with and that we need to begin to respond to. And we would encourage you to come back together again as a community and to understand that there is a war. And because of that, the times are such that you must again begin to act. The administration in this country has declared war on people and is mutilating and violating and decimating millions of human beings across this country whose only crime is to be old, to be unemployed, to be mentally disabled, physically disabled. What they are doing almost boggles the mind, except it's real and it hurts and it's hurting a lot of folks. Domestically, internationally, of course, what we're doing is well known. You know, Salvador, uh, Guatemala, lots of other places that can be named where we've stuck our little fingers and ruined a lot of lives and stopped a lot of people from achieving freedom and independence and liberation. Um, you bear a responsibility for that, and you bear a stake in where we go from here. And where we go from here, for the most part, is going to be determined on what individuals like yourselves decide is important, is valuable, and is necessary. And who you are, and the degree to which you have injected morality and ethics into your life, is going to be judged by who you call your friends, how you spend your time, where your resources go, how much of them you've got, and what you are willing to place yourself in risk for. Because as was said in the opening words, and I think they were very good ones, uh, it's too easy to profess a belief in justice and, and morality and ethics, and then to continue to live our lives in basically unchanged fashion when all around us human beings are suffering and dying. I mean, that is not fair, that is not ethical, and that is not just. And that is what almost everyone in this society does. We give lip service to justice, and at the same time, we overconsume. We have two, three, four, five, ten pairs of shoes while human beings walk barefoot in the winter months. We have more clothing than we need, more money than we need, more food than we need, more, ever, more privacy, more security, and of course, the wrong sense of the word. Uh, all of those things need to go, and if they don't go, and if they don't go quickly, then we will. And so it seems to us that that's the basic choice. Either we, we get up quickly, stand up, straighten up, begin to fight for that which is human and that which is important, or we will be forced to watch the world fall around us, and we will pass nothing on to the next generation but a burnt and scorched earth and uh, an impossible set of circumstances and a lot less possibility that they will live to reach adulthood, uh, and if they do, that they will enjoy it. So, but again, thank you for, uh, for the assistance. We appreciated it, we needed it, we used it. The folks who benefited by it most were the people who live on the streets and, 
had some time in the shelter. That shelter is closing tonight. It's the last night, because uh, our agreement with the school board only runs through today. Uh, it was hard enough to get them to turn the building over during the winter months. It gets real difficult to get attention focused during the spring and summer months when everybody thinks in terms of camping out. And <laughs> the last thing is that we are going to be camping out. And uh, one of those attempts to focus attention on a, on a very absurd situation is going to begin on July 4th in Kansas City. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Kansas City, and I would imagine many of you are not, because I'm not, uh, there are caves, giant limestone caves that run underneath Kansas City and Independence, uh, that area of the country. They are warehouses. And they contain a lot of things, but part of what they contain is food, and it's government food, surplus food, approximately 200 million pounds of food in just those series of caves. The government is sitting on that proverbial pile of bananas, $5 billion worth of milk, cheese, butter, honey, uh, macaroni, rice, oats, uh, corn, um, enough powdered milk to provide all of the needs of every human being in this country for three years if another cow dropped not one more ounce of milk. Um, they have consistently refused to release that food and have just beaten back another congressional attempt to get some of it popped loose. We are going to set up an encampment in Kansas City on July 4th, and people are going to go there and fast. And they're going to fast open-endedly, and they're going to fast demanding that that food be released. So we would extend an invitation to anyone who has a couple of free weeks or months in July and August and who wants to celebrate independence by trying to buy a little bit of it back uh, to, uh, to let us know when it come to Kansas City. We would also extend an invitation to anyone here who wants to get to know us a little bit better to come by and visit either the house or the soup kitchen and get online and grab a bowl of food and talk to some of the people there and get a better sense of who they are and let them get to know you a little bit better. And we would also be more than willing to get together with any group of people out of this community who wanted to try and figure out where you as a community can go for, from here beyond simply writing checks or collecting food or clothing or things like that, because there are things that you can do as a community, and there are things that you should do as a community, and it seems to us that this is a highly appropriate time to begin exploring what those are. So we would make ourselves available at any time that any of you chose to come together um, and to try and address those questions. We would be more than happy to share in that process for whatever our participation would be worth. Uh, and also uh, uh, a word of thanks for inviting me and and Richard and Carol here today. And afterwards, we would be more than happy to hang around a little bit and talk to folks. And if you want to read our book, you can get one on the back counter. It's $5 a piece, and we don't make money on that. We just will be able to print the next 5,000 if we charge $5 a piece for this 5,000. So anyone who's interested in reading about homelessness in America or Washington or hearing a lot more in terms of the, um, the philosophy and the analysis that undergirds all of that, and feel free to uh, pick up one of the books in back. And thank you.